If I can invite you to remain standing, please, for the gospel reading, which comes from Matthew 6, verses 7 through 15. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all this morning, and thank God for the rain. What a blessing it is. Uh, This morning we're going to be continuing our uh, journey as we're going through the greatest sermon ever told, as it was mentioned in the children's time, uh, continuing Jesus' words. As we know, this sermon consists of five chapters in our Bibles, according to how, you know, we've since divided up these teachings, these Gospels, the letters that that Matthew has provided for us. Uh, But we have to see and we have to remember that in these words, Jesus provides for us a picture of how he expects us to live and to practice our faith both individually and also in faith together as a community. And so in his words, what he shows us is the marks or characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. He tells us how we're to be identified by our faith, and then he also gives us ways or or opportunities or areas where you and I are able to model our righteousness in the way that we live. Last week, we spent some time in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 6, where uh, Jesus takes time comparing how a Christian or follower of him is to worship and offer themselves to God in comparison to the Pharisees. Because what he wants us to do, what he wanted them to do, was to examine their motivation. Their motivation for why and how they prayed. Their motivation for why and how they gave their financial gifts. And then also their motivation for the ways that they fasted and and acted out and and lived out their religious faith. And so this morning we're going to go a little deeper into what has been termed the model prayer of Jesus, which is the Lord's Prayer. These words for many of us are familiar, but I also can tell you that they can become unfamiliar. I've got, I don't know if I've ever told you all this story. I don't think I have, but um, when we were in seminary, you know, we lived in Baltimore and, and some of our close friends from New Mexico State were also in seminary at the same time. And so uh, the church that, that he was at, he was an associate pastor in another church across town. And so they had a Saturday night service. It was Saturdays at 5 p.m. And so we would drive across town, and we'd usually attend worship with, well, we always attended worship with them, and then afterwards, we usually go to dinner, we'd go to their house and eat and, you know, play games or do whatever. Since we didn't have children, we could stay out late, Um, later, well, usually pretty late, but anyway. Um, So here's where it ties into the sermon, and so at this Saturday night sermon, my friend was clever. And he thought that it would be neat for them to use the ecumenical version of the Lord's Prayer. The words are on the screen. I'm not going to look at them uh, because uh, they got me confused. All right, this is found on page 895 of the hymnal. If you want to look later, you're more than welcome to, of course. And I don't know about you all, but I'm an 895-er when it comes to the Lord's Prayer in the hymnal. There's 894 that's the ecumenical version of the Lord's Prayer. 895 is the Methodist version. 
uh, version of the Lord's Prayer. And then 896 is actually the Evangelical United Brethren version of the Lord's Prayer that you probably never prayed unless you grew up EUB, which probably most of us haven't because there wasn't a big presence of EUB in the Southwest of the United States before the United Methodist Church was formed. So on those Saturday nights, as we'd be praying, I found myself really having to focus. Because I don't know the words of the version of this prayer. Here's where it became a problem. Saturday nights it was fine, but then Sunday mornings I'd start praying, and then both versions would be in my head. It'd be like, well, anyway. um, And so I realized very quickly, after bumbling over it a couple of times, never at um, the church because I had two churches, so it was always the, the church that I had 8.30 worship service in the morning, that I'd find myself all of a sudden caught going, I don't know which word's next. Am I praying for this or am I praying for that? How do I have to phrase it? So I quickly discovered I needed an index card there on the pulpit or in my Bible just in case. Here's the good thing. If I pray either version, I think God's okay with that, right? I think where the problem is, is when I'm leading and others are following and a train wreck ensues, it's because of me, right? So, um, version of Lord's Prayer aside, let's take some time to think about the words of this prayer. Because if you think about it, what Jesus has offered us is he's provided for us a framework that you and I are able to look at, we are able to base our own prayer life off of, and then also we're able to pray these words when we gather together in worship. You can also pray these words on your own and not even have to accompany or, or place any of your own personal words besides praying the Lord's Prayer to God. Because Jesus gives us this perfect prayer that shows us how we can speak to Him. I think it's helpful for us to see where the Lord's Prayer is, is located within the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, as you remember, we, we looked at um, the beginning words of Matthew chapter 6. And what Jesus is doing is he's helping his disciples to see how you and I can pray with A, humility, and B, earnestness in our hearts. And so that's why last week he said, don't be like the pagans when you pray. You're to be earnest. You're to be intent in the way that you choose your words and in the way you lift your words to God. We are to be intentional in the way we choose to have a conversation with God rather than attempting like the pagans did to just just flood God with our words and hope that in our flood of words something's going to stick. We don't have to do that, Jesus is saying. We don't have to uh, to try to overwhelm God with our words when we pray. We don't have to use flowery language. We don't have to use unnecessary language. You don't have to set a timer to make sure that you're praying for a certain amount of time. Although if you get distracted like I do sometimes, it might be helpful to just sit there and and focus for three minutes or whatever it is. What we have to remember is that God wants us to have a conversation with Him, which means talking to Him and then taking the time to listen as well. But we can do that by following this model that Jesus has given us. A model that tells us how we talk to a God who is loving and who's personal. A God who fulfills the idea of perfect fatherhood with his loving care for each of us, his children. Even as he combines who he is as a father with 
the very gift and the very um, just majesty of what we think about when we think of God and His all-encompassing heavenly power. I found an interesting quote about the Lord's Prayer as, as I was reading, and, and so I want to share it with you. There was this a church father named Tertullian, and he was born about 150 A.D. in Carthage, North Africa, and his father was a captain of the Roman Legion, and so that allowed him to, to be educated as a lawyer, and then later he became a theologian when he converted to Christianity. So he's remembered for the way he embraced the gospel, he also used his legal skills as a lawyer to defend Christianity from pagan attacks, as well as heresies within the church, such as Gnosticism, or teaching that there's this secret knowledge that Christians must receive to be a true believer. All right, so there is a strike against this man, because he, at the end of his, uh, of his life, he, be, he converted and, and began kind of following a different sect of Christianity that was later uh, condemned. So we remember him as a church father, a defender of the faith, but also someone who got a little misled at the end of his life. But he writes this, and I think this is the important words, as prayer begins with a demonstration of our belief in God and a blessed act of faith at the moment when we say, Father who art in heaven. For we are both thereby adoring God and demonstrating our faith in this form of the address as the result. And then he says, it is written to those who believe in God he gives power to be called children of God. So he's saying any time that you engage in prayer, you demonstrate your belief in God. Any time you engage in prayer. And that that act of faith, whether it's a short word that you offer as you're going into to a, you know, a doctor's appointment or, or some other situation and you're saying, God, I need guidance right now. Please bless me. That's the same act of faith as you praying the Lord's Prayer or sitting down to spend time in prayer with God for a longer period of time. Even engaging in the act of prayer, we both adore God and we demonstrate our faith. And really, it's in our act of doing these things that you claim your position of who God has created you and made you to be, which is his son or his daughter. This is the same position, if you think about, if you look in the Gospels, how did Jesus tell the disciples to pray? He said, when we pray to our Father, we say our Father. Because it's when we pray these words, we also claim the relationship that God has offered to each of us. In being his father, and being his or in being his children, as he is our father. Some com um, commentators have, have separated this prayer out, where our duty to God and our, our duty um, to needs, and finally our duty to self, is laid out in prayer. And so it's when we pray these words that we lay out our minds, our hearts, and ourselves towards God, and we begin by saying, "Our Father." Folks, when you call God your Father, you're acknowledging the creating aspect of who He's chosen to be as He's breathed into you the very breath of life. We acknowledge that in our prayer we respond to, to this gift, not because God desires our response or needs our response, but we respond because there's a change that happens in our heart whenever we orient ourselves towards God, towards His kingdom, whenever we ask Him to place His concerns above our own, whenever we profess that, that we are second, 
and that it's only God who is first when it comes in our relationship to Him. To pray for His kingdom to come is, is a prayer where you acknowledge and you give God dominion over your life and everything that is around you. This is a prayer that, you know, in the culture today, it tells us that, that we need to be first. We need to be the priority. We need to be the one who, who gets what we want or who gets what we need or who gets what we think we need. Friends, to say God's kingdom come is to pray something very different from that, isn't it? It's to pray and acknowledge that God reigns over all the creation, over everything, in your world, in your life, and everything around you. To pray for His kingdom to come is to give over control. And to realize that giving over control sometimes means, and well, it does mean, that God's priorities have to take precedent over our own priorities. And that God's preferences have to take preference over our own. To pray for God's kingdom is to pray that God's Spirit is going to guide you and direct you and lead you to do the things and to be the people that He wants you to be. And then when we pray for God to give us daily bread, there's few things as basic as that. But have you ever thought that when you say those words, give us this day our daily bread, you're asking and, and you're acknowledging that, that God, who is so big and so great and so everything, cares so much for you that you can even pray for the most basic and normal things that He can give you? And so to pray for our daily bread is to give God thanks for the most basic of things. Bread. But then also to realize that God's presence is there in all aspects of our lives. Because if we can pray to God for the basic things, then aren't we also acknowledging that we can pray to God for the most serious things or important things or whatever it is that we need to lift to Him in prayer? To pray for God to bless us for our basic needs is to recognize that God blesses us for even those things that you and I take to for granted. Which are the things that we don't thank Him for. And then Jesus moves into forgive us our trespasses or depending how you grew up, sins, correct? Or debts as we forget our debtors. Jesus expects us to be the same way. And to measure ourselves not by the way that those around us have offered forgiveness to those that have wronged them, but Jesus says, you're to measure the act of forgiveness that you offer to others against me and against God himself. So really what that means for us is that God forgives us far more than you and I can ever imagine. For us to pray for his forgiveness and then to weigh his forgiveness against our own calls us to measure and really for us to realize that we don't forgive. And for us to be followers of him, Jesus wants us to see that forgiveness is a central part of who we are and of how we pray as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Just as we have to say, give us our daily bread, we also have to ask God daily to forgive us our sins. As we forgive others in the same way that he has forgiven us. 
You know, Jesus goes on in, in Matthew 18, he tells the parable of the unmerciful servant who has forgiven a great debt from his master, a huge debt. And then the unmerciful servant goes and finds another servant that owns him a small amount. And he has him thrown into debtor's prison. And, and we, Jesus, when he talks about forgiveness, what he's saying is your forgiveness can never measure against God's. So for you to ask for forgiveness means that you have to forgive others as God has forgiven you. And then he says, lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Friends, we're totally dependent on God. We need his deliverance to keep us from being overcome and overwhelmed. We need his presence to help us realize and to navigate the battle between good and evil. And we need God for spiritual survival. And so when you pray these words, you are saying, God, please protect me. Please guide me. Please direct me. Because the evil one's goal is, is not to cause you to, to give up your faith completely, but the evil one's goal is to, to discourage you and, and in turn defeat you through that. To cause you to focus on those things that, that um, lead you away from God or that keep you from growing in your faith. And so when we pray for God not to lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. We pray that God will keep us from being discouraged and that God will keep us focused. Focused not on ourselves, but focused on Him. Because when we are focusing on ourselves and our preferences and on everything else that, um, you know, that, that we want, that's an easy way that the, easy one, that the evil one gets into us. It causes us to question what we're doing and causes us not to think about what we're doing as meaningful or causes us not to offer our prayers as Jesus taught the disciples and others to pray. Because when we don't focus on ourselves, it's easier for us to focus on Christ. And on focusing on Christ and God, we find the victory that comes not through our work, but through His. So folks, when we pray, we pray as Jesus did. As we give God thanks for His glory. As, he thank, as we thank Him for the very basic of things that He gives us. As we thank Him for our forgiveness and we forgive others. And then as we pray for His guidance and His protection. Because we know that when we are filled with His Spirit and when we are following Him, He will lead us towards life and towards hope and towards grace. And he will help us to truly pray and to truly speak to him as he would have us to do. Would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious God, we come to you today as we gather and, and as we think about these words that your son Jesus taught us. God, we pray that as we, when we pray them, they would not become mechanical. They would not become words that we utter without thinking about them. But Lord, that in these words, we would lift you our hearts and we would have a conversation with you. For we know, Lord, that true change only comes through you, through your Son, Jesus, and through the working of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If I can invite the ushers to come forward to receive this morning's tithes and offerings, please. And as they're coming... If I could remind those who are worshiping online with us this morning that you can go to fumcclovis.net.
There's a secure online giving link that you can click on that'll take you to a secure giving portal if you prefer to participate in stewardship electronically. Dear God, we thank you today for the gifts you give us, for the life you offer us, and for the blessings that we have. We pray for your blessings now on these gifts. Lord, that they would be used by you and through you to change lives and to help us to glorify you in all that we do. Amen.